Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series entitled Imitate, a study on the book of 1 Thessalonians. For more information about CBC or how to get plugged in, visit us on the website, cbcsavannah.com. Well, like many of you, we evacuated for Hurricane Matthew. So I was kind of on the fence. I was, I was going to be brave. I was going to have courage. And then like 10 o'clock on Thursday morning, the phone alerts started going off and things began to change. And my wife said, I think we should go. And so we decided we were going to get in the car and we were going to drive to Atlanta. So I was like, all right, if we're going to do this, then we're going to go now. We're going to go right now because I knew there was going to be the, you know, eight-hour trip to Atlanta possibility. So I'm like, 20 minutes, we're in the car, we're going. So Erica says to the kids, all right, you guys pack yourselves. (laughs) Now, I told my kids I was going to tell this story, and the one uh, that this is about said, can you just please not mention any names? So fair enough. So uh, we get to Atlanta that night, good trip for the most part, made it faster. Somebody, we had like apples, somehow we ended up with apples and pretzels in the car, like a little bag of pretzels and some apples, you know, and like the multitudes were hungry and I was like, Erica, you're going to need to, you know, multiply that because I'm not stopping for a while, you know, so we're like, here is one pretzel for you and here's a pretzel for you. So we get there uh, that night. And to Atlanta, and we open up the, the suitcase, and one of my boys, that narrows it down, uh, he had packed a suitcase full of pajamas and underwear. <laughs> that was all he brought. And it, 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 you know, I'll tell you, he was real comfortable every night. Some awkwardness in the day. But it was an emergency, right? Bring what you need. Bring the essentials. Let's hit the road. So last week we talked about the day of the Lord. And we all know, if we're believers, we know that the day of the Lord is a much bigger deal than Hurricane Matthew. And it's even more certain, right? I mean, you sit there, you watch the Weather Channel. Is it going to turn west? Is it going to turn east? What's going to happen? Maybe it's going to hit us. Maybe it's not going to hit us. The day of the Lord is coming. It is more certain that the day of the Lord is coming than that any of us are going to have lunch this afternoon. We're sure of that. So in light of that, I believe that this final passage in the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians from Paul, this letter, is, is sort of some final instructions in light of the day of the Lord. And if you've ever written a letter, this is like... This is just a list of sort of staccato commands. It feels almost like Paul is like running out of paper, and he's just like, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. But I I don't think it's as disjointed as it might seem at first glance. I, I think what he's trying to tell us is that these are things that we should constantly be doing if we're going to be ready for the day of the Lord. And here's here's what they are. They are extraordinarily ordinary. It's, it's pajamas and underwear, folks. It's, it's not sell everything you have and go stand on a mountain. It's nothing like that. 
It's ordinary life. It's love people and it's love God because those are the things that when Jesus Christ returns, those are the things that will really matter. Now, brief disclaimer, uh, most of the time we would cover this passage in more than one sermon, but because of the hurricane and we missed a couple of weeks, we're going to do this all at one time, all right? So I'm going to cover four points today. My hope for you is that I will stir your heart to go and look at these things more in depth later on this week, all right? But they're very straightforward. There's not a lot of big interpretive issues here. It's just, it means what it says, all right? So let's look through here. In light of the day of the Lord, I'm going to give you four extraordinarily ordinary steps that we can take together to be ready for His coming. And they're simply this, and they'll, they'll be up here later, but respect your leaders, embrace the mess, pray habitually, and fan the flame of the Holy Spirit, okay? All right, so let's, let's move through these things this morning. First of all, let's talk about respecting your leaders. Look at verses 12 through 13. But we request of you, brethren, sorry, wrong version. <laughs> we ask you, brothers, to respond, uh, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. All right, let me just come out and acknowledge it right here at the opening. This is a little bit of an awkward point to preach, uh, because here's the point. Christ followers should respect their leaders and esteem them very highly in love. Yeah. All right, remember, let me, let me explain this, because this is, this is a command worth understanding. Timothy had come back from Thessalonica, and he had brought a very good report to Paul. All right, Paul was excited to find out that the church in Thessalonica was doing really well. But what probably was the case was Timothy had uh, suspected that there might be some dissension. There might be some grumbling about the leaders. Okay, now, let's talk about those leaders for just a second. Before Paul got to Thessalonica, nobody had ever spoken the name of Jesus Christ there. All right, so he shows up there. He's in town for a few weeks at best. Maybe he brings... The whole Old Testament, maybe he's got a gospel, maybe a few fragments of, of what will be the New Testament, but the New Testament hasn't been written yet, and then Paul gets run out of town. And what we can assume is that at some point, he looked around with the, the people that he, he had, and he said, you, 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 and you, I, I need you to be leaders, and very likely, some of these very baby Christians would have said, I have no idea what I'm doing. All right, so in light of that, and for us to try to embrace what this passage can teach us this morning, I want to I give you three points that can help us when we talk about respecting leadership in the church. Number one, there are no perfect churches. And there are no perfect churches because there are no perfect people. And perfect people, I'm sorry, imperfect people, make up imperfect churches. Now, as if that wasn't bad enough, the leaders in the churches are imperfect people trying to lead imperfect people in imperfect churches. And this is just something we live with, right? We know this. We are sinners. When Jesus comes back, we're going to have a righteous king, and that's what we're all looking forward to. But for now, what God has given us is leaders in the home and in society and in the church whose responsibility it is to watch over us. And when we don't respect authority, there is chaos. And so, Timothy 
is saying to the Thessalonian church here, look, if you've got people among you who are seeking to do God's work in God's way, then you need to respect them and esteem them highly because they're instructing you. They're admonishing you. That's a word that simply means to warn. They're trying to keep you on the way. And if they do that faithfully, you should esteem them highly in love. So, let me brag on my brothers here just a little bit because this is an appropriate place to do it. There's all kinds of places in the Scripture that talks about holding our leaders accountable. Amen and amen. But let me just for a moment speak to you about the men I work with. Do you all know that Bill Fowler spends 30 hours a week preparing to instruct us and admonish us on Sundays. And that's not all he does. He meets with people, he counsels people, he meets with staff, he, he plans vision for the church. He works hard to admonish us and to warn us in the Lord. William Kane, I, I work right across the copy room from William Kane. And I can tell you that if you came and you were in our office for a week, you would see people coming and going, talking to him, seeking counsel for him, from him, uh, you know, planning with him. And, and very often, if the door was closed, you would see people in there on their knees seeking the guidance of the Lord for difficult issues. And Rad Harrell, I work with Rad. He's almost always the last to leave. And he's responsible for, for, for us being able to meet together in comfort and to be able to do the things we do, but he also will stop and will hear needs and will respond to needs and offer physical help and spiritual help on a moment's notice. He'll, he'll step away from those responsibilities. And I say all that to say that we are blessed here with men who lead us who work hard in the Lord and therefore should be honored and esteemed. And I would love, if I had time, to be able to mention all the different people that I work with. Um, and, and, and listen to this, too. When we faithfully love them and esteem them, we are serving Jesus Christ because that's what he has called us to do. Paul says, finally, in this passage, he says, be at peace among yourselves. And, and, and that, that simply means this. Go ahead and obey your leaders so that you can be at peace with one another. Because living according to God's design, whether it's in the family or, or in the church or in society, brings peace. And to ignore that brings chaos. So a church that is anxiously waiting for the coming of the Lord must be able to get along with each other. And let me just say this, too. I think CBC does this really well. Speaking as a pastor, I feel very loved. I feel very appreciated. I am very thankful for that. And in a city where, frankly, you know, in the South, church business meetings aren't exactly known as being the most harmonious of things, it is the fragrance of Christ when we get along and respect our leaders, and love, and seek to, do, uh, to outdo one another in honor. People will take notice of that. All right, so respect your leaders. Number two, embrace the mess. Just embrace it. Look at verse 14 and 15. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So let me give you a little bit of gospel perspective before we dive into this point. And I'm just going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, just to put this in context. Listen to what Paul says about us. For consider your calling, brethren. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. 
Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God chose the foolish and the weak and the poor and the, 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 the unable and that's us. And he did it because we are vessels. We are empty vessels. And I look around and he said, I'm going to choose that guy. And I'm going to put my glory on display through that guy because he's weak. And it will be obvious what I'm doing. In the Old Testament, over and over again, Israel is described as a stiff-necked people. And it's, it's as if God looked at all eternity and he looked at all the nations and he said, I'm going to choose that one. And I'm going to put my glory on display through that nation. And, and, and after all of time is, is completed, us and the angels, we're all going to look at that nation and we're going to say, wow, can you believe what God did through them? And it's the same with us. Y'all, just most loving way possible. We're, we're the last kids picked on the kickball team, all right? There's, there's, there's nothing about us that in God's eyes was like, I want him, Except that God said, I'm going to choose to put my glory on display through that guy. I'm going to send my son to die so that he can be forgiven and washed and sanctified. And then I'm going to transform him into this trophy of grace. And for all of eternity, I just, I picture God, you know, hey, you angels, come over here. Look at this guy. Remember what he was? (laughs) Look at him now. I did that. I did that. And that's God bringing glory to himself through us as imperfect vessels. So if we embrace that perspective about the church, which is what we really are, then it's easy for us to understand the point that Paul is making here. Simply, just learn to put up with one another. Learn to put up with one another. Look, he says, admonish the idle. Simply means warn the lazy. You know, those, those uncooperative people, those people who you feel like just won't do anything, just warn them. Instruct them. Encourage the discouraged. Discouraged means little sold. Those people who, who they, they're depressed or they're anxious or they're despairing, don't rebuke them. Encourage them. Bring them along. Keep, keep bringing them along. Help the weak. Those who are strong, those of us who are strong, put your arm around the weak and carry them. Bear one another's burdens. It may be physical weakness or it may be moral weakness. And then Paul says this, and I think this is his point here. He says, and you know what? Be patient with all of them. Just be patient. And remember, I'm speaking to a room full of spiritually and physically weak, dependent people. And God is redeeming all of us out of our shortcomings and our failures. And so this should motivate us to be patient with those around us. There's no three strikes and you're out policy in the church, and for that we can all be grateful. So let's keep on being patient. And then you know what? Sometimes when you move into the mess, when you embrace the mess, when you try to help imperfect, weak, discouraged people, sometimes they hurt you. That's what happens. If you're involved in the church long enough and you reach out to some Christians, sooner or later, you're going to be hurt deeply. And Paul says, don't retaliate. Do good. Do good to everyone. Always do good. And so as we prepare for the day of the Lord and we see these six commands and they describe how we as a church should interact with one another 
And it's totally the opposite of the world, right? Which is like social Darwinism, you know, so survival of the fittest. The strong get stronger and the weak just die away. And if you're in the world and you're a young person, what do you do? You attach yourself to somebody who's strong because you're going you're gonna to go where they go. They're going to pull you along. In the church, we look for weak people. We look for people who can't bring us anything who can't do anything for us, and we go and we serve them, and we go and we love them, and we go and we bring them along because this is what Jesus did for us. He doesn't need us, but he enters into our mess, and he serves us even though we can, we can truly add nothing to his glory. And he even was willing to be hurt on our behalf. He reviled, and he did not revile in return. So we move toward messy situations regardless of whether or not we're going to get hurt. Let me just sum up these four verses, this, these two points. Obey your leaders, embrace the mess, because really what I think Paul is saying is as the day of the Lord is approaching, care for your relationships. Be at peace with everyone. Be patient with all. Always do good to everyone. We could say treat everyone with kindness. And there's nothing that's hard to understand here. This is traveling light. We are, this, is, this is pajamas and underwear. These are the basics of what it means to be ready for the day of the Lord. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, that sounds really draining. Weak people, hurting people, lazy people. I can't do that. I can't be patient. But it's interesting to me too that Paul actually says, be patient, be at peace, and be kind. Because those are fruits of the Spirit. Those are fruits of the Spirit. Paul's saying, live in light of the fruits of the Spirit. And so I would suggest to you that these next two points then help us by getting the power that we need from the Spirit to live in a way that naturally we would not live. So point number three, pray all the time. Verses 16 through 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, this is the, I would love to deep dive on this. We could explore these three verses for, for weeks, but let me just say this. First of all, if you're going to have the resources to encourage and warn somebody else, you must be a person who lives rejoicing always. Here's an interesting little story. So in Nehemiah, the people have come back to the land, and they're sad, and the city of Jerusalem is broken down, the walls aren't fixed, and the temple's not built. And Ezra the scribe comes, and he reads the book of the law in their midst. And they're real sad. They hear the law, and they're like, we're failing. We're weak, and we know it. They recognize their inability. Some perhaps even despair. This is what Nehemiah says to them. Then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to everyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And you said, God, David, I, I, I'm not joyful. I'm one of the weak ones. I'm one of the despairing. I am not joyful. I don't have the resources to get through my own life, much less enter into someone else's. Well, then I would suggest to you that the key to unlocking that joy is to be in constant, unceasing prayer. Now, many of you have heard this verse, to pray, pray without ceasing. And you think, I don't even know what that means. 
I need to move to a monastery? Do I, do I just pray only ever? And that's not what Paul's talking about at all. Here's three points, I think, that can help us to understand what it means to pray without ceasing. Number one, cultivate a spirit of dependence. Just be a person whose default attitude is, I need help. I need help in this situation. Be a, be a person who learns to say under your breath, Lord, I, I can't do this. Whether you're a teacher or a doctor or, or, or a student, when you enter into a situation that you would say, first and foremost, God, I really need your help in this moment. When things get busy or tense or even desperate that you could stop and say, Lord, I don't have the resources for this. I need your help. He's your father. He wants you to ask. Secondly, prayer should be often and repeated. Pray without ceasing means pray over and over again during the day. Find the time. When you're in the car, turn off sports radio or music and just, just pray. When, when a need comes up, try to slip away, get alone, and, and, and just have a moment of, of talking to your father. When somebody comes up to you, a family member or a, a, um, a friend, and asks you to pray, stop right then and say, okay, let's pray now. Don't put it off. Pray when it enters into your mind. How, how many of us have been in situations lately where we've thought, I should pray with that person, and we, we just let that moment go past. Pray. Be willing to pray all the time. And then third, don't stop praying. Keep praying. Keep asking. Those of you who are praying for loved ones, keep praying. Those of you who are praying for besetting sins in your life that you're like, why haven't I beat this by now? Keep praying. If you're praying, Lord, I just want to rejoice. That sounds good, what he just talked about. I don't even know what that is. Lord, help me to look at the cross, to see my sin and to see your sacrifice. And, and Lord, just help me in whatever circumstance I'm in to be able to rejoice and have deeper faith. Now, just two quick caveats here. Number one, I do believe that spontaneous prayer is born out of people who invest in disciplined prayer. If you're making time during the day to come before your father and ask him for things, you're going to be more likely to do it at other times as well. And then secondly, get rid of any sense of formalism. You know, you don't have to have a grasp of, of King James English in order to pray, okay? You don't have to have a lot of time. When my, when my children burst into my room and ask me for something, I don't say, whoa, you know, you could have said some nice things about me first before you asked for that. And, and I think that's the way God is as well. Just come and ask. I think we have this picture of how we need to come before God with this formalism and these words, and he would have us to just come and ask. James says, you don't have because you don't ask. You can barge into your Father's presence. He invites you by the blood of Jesus Christ to do that. Take the invitation. Which leads us to the fourth point, fan the flame of the Holy Spirit. Fan the flame of the Holy Spirit. Verses 19 through 22. Don't quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. I don't think this is four different commands. I think it's one 
command. And when Paul says, don't put out the Spirit's fire, don't quench the Spirit, what he means is don't despise prophecies. Don't treat them with contempt. And what you're supposed to do is to just test those prophecies, see what is good, hold fast to what is good, and discard what is evil. So all we have to do is figure out what prophecy means. And we're out of time. Just kidding. Kind of. Um, All right. Short lesson on biblical prophecy. All right. When you hear the word prophecy, just understand that the word prophecy simply means what God has to say to you, what God has to say to us, okay? Don't think about somebody who is predicting the future. We, we associate prophecy with, with predicting the future. And yeah, some of the Old Testament prophets did a, a fair amount of that. But that's not all that prophecy is. And in the New Testament, an apostle is, is kind of the equivalent of an Old Testament prophet, which means this, they spoke for God. When Isaiah spoke, he was saying, thus saith the Lord, all right? Now, in the New Testament church, there were these people, these sort of like little p prophets who spoke words that while they weren't the word of God, they were useful. It was a gift that God used. Remember, the church was very immature. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't know what they were doing. And so God used this gift of prophecy in the church to direct the church in in what he wanted them to know and in how he wanted them to act together. And it was very, very important that people listen to what they have to say. Okay, so what does it mean then that they were not to despise those prophecies? Well, anybody who presumes to speak for God is going to be tempted to use that for their own personal gain. And perhaps even in this context, remember how in the last couple of weeks we've seen that that some were misunderstanding the day of the Lord? So it's entirely possible that maybe somebody stood up in their midst and said, I have a word from the Lord, and it is that the day of the Lord has already come. And so some people were really discouraged by that. Now, the temptation then is to say, well, forget prophecy altogether. I don't want to hear it. I don't need it. It's always unhelpful. And Paul is simply warning the Thessalonian church here, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't quench the spirit by rejecting those prophecies. Simply test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. All right, so what does that mean for us today here at CBC? Two points, I think. Number one, let's be careful not to quench the Spirit. That's that's a big one, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I want more of God's Spirit, not less. The, The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. I want more of that, right? And, 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 and here's the thing. We know that, that, that God through the Holy Spirit is always at work, but clearly the New Testament teaches that it is possible to quench the Spirit and it is possible to grieve the Spirit. And so therefore, while the Spirit is always working, there are things that we can do as believers that minimize His ability to work in our lives. So in this case, the command is clear. Just don't despise what God has revealed. And so this morning, look, this is basic Scripture. We've looked at some basic things in the Scripture. This is God speaking, and I am, I am speaking what God is speaking, explaining what God is speaking here. So perhaps your heart has been convicted that you need to pray more. Don't show contempt to that. Don't leave here and be like, eh. 
Go and think about that. Go and obey that. Go and figure out a way to do that more. Maybe you're not at peace with somebody. Maybe there is somebody in your life or even in this church, and God keeps bringing that to mind, and you're like, I should go and make that right. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't put, a, don't put out that fire. And what about this? Maybe you've been sitting here right now, and you've been thinking for the last 15 minutes about how you're going to retaliate against somebody for a wrong that they did. And yet, the Apostle Paul says clearly, don't retaliate. Do good to all people. Don't quench that. Listen to that. Listen to his leading and act. If God has said something through the, the word or a person and it has, it has inspired you to, to think in a way that you should obey or that you should say something, test that to see if it's good or bad. And if it's good, do it. Run at it. And I think we would call that fanning the flame of the Spirit. Just simply obeying what God moves us in our hearts to do. And then secondly, this, don't believe everything you hear. Because today, just as in Paul's day, there are people out there who claim to speak for God, and they are frauds. They are charlatans, okay? Don't turn on the television and listen to some guy saying that the gospel is actually a, a, a get-rich-quick scheme and be like, I want into that, because that's not true. Test that. That's, that's not good, Okay? The, the, the gospel does not allow you to claim a BMW and then have it. That's not true, okay? And out of that, too, don't go into your local Christian bookstore and just because something is on the, the bestseller list, assume that it's something that would be good and that it's something that would be helpful and that it's something that would be right. Test that. Y'all, if the, if the devil can masquerade as an angel of light then he can definitely make himself look like a Christian author. And we need to be on guard. All right, y'all. Jesus is coming. You need to get ready. Yes, amen. You need to get ready. It's pajamas and underwear. It's basics. Y'all, it is love God. Pray without ceasing. Listen and don't quench the spirit. And it is love people. Respect your elders and be patient and kind to everybody. Y'all, those are the basics. And one day Jesus Christ is truly going to appear. We know this because that's what God, God's word has told us. And so let's be investing those things. Some of you guys are traveling heavy. You're traveling with a lot of things. You're, you're, you're carrying a lot of burdens that you don't need. And it's all going to be redefined when we see his face. And so let's be ready to hear, well done, good and faithful uh, servant, when, 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 when he appears. Let me pray. Our Father, may we be ready. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and set to right all that is wrong. Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us to be prepared. Give us your spirit to love you and to love others so that we can be ready. Father, we, we turn now and we rejoice at, at what is about to happen, at, at the fact that people have put their trust in you and that they want to proclaim before this body that, that they are in. And we rejoice in that. Father, may those in here who are having a hard time rejoicing this morning rejoice simply that people have been saved and that at the end of all of this, we will be with you and we will live with you and we will know you 
for all eternity. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you're going to be baptized, now would be a good time to go and get ready for that.